0: Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO Show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I've got a guest all the way from Nashville, Tennessee, Ryan Englin. And we're going to talk about recruiting staff and retaining staff. And Grow CFO, we talk quite often to you as an individual about how you get your next finance role, how you get your CFO role. But we're going to turn that around today and think about how do you recruit your team? What are the best ways? And Ryan's company, Core Matters, talk about getting better people faster. So Ryan, welcome to the Grow CFO show.
1: Oh, Kevin, thanks for having me.
0: So how's Nashville today?
1: Oh, it's uh, in the mid 80s, balmy, you know, a little humid, but got some storms coming in. Yeah, but love it here. It's great. Fantastic part of the world to be in.
0: I know a holiday yeah. just before COVID
1: and it was a fantastic place. But anyway, Core Matters, what does Core Matters actually do? We are a training and coaching company. And what we do is we work with Mostly small business owners, but some medium sized businesses. And we teach their recruiting teams, their HR departments, their CFOs, if needed, if they're involved in recruiting, we teach them how to fish for good people. You know, most companies have never been through any kind of formal training to understand how this process works, what's even available to help them do this. So we partner along with these companies and we implement our system, the CoreFit hiring system inside of their business. Then we teach them how to use it so they can go out and hire as many people as they will ever need.
0: So you're teaching people how to fish. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. So the obvious question here is how do you fish?
1: (laughs) You know, (laughs) for me, I'll just tell you my story. I grew up in an entrepreneurial family and my dad never was able to step away from the business. I don't know if you know any people that have never been able to grow their department or even grow their business because they can't seem to hire the right people. They always are stuck doing too much. And I watched my dad deal with that. And I see entrepreneurs and leaders deal with it all the time. They're never able to build successful teams and get out of the weeds so they can focus on the things that are really going to drive results. I spent some time in corporate. And You know, if we're talking to CFOs right now and finance people, they're probably no strangers to process and systems and following the rules. And that is one thing that corporate taught me is that in order to grow big, you have to be able to automate the predictable, automate the important, create systems for things that will work while you're sleeping. And as I moved into the world of entrepreneurship myself, I saw it happen firsthand where people were constantly just fighting and pushing against things. And it's like, if you just had a system, if you just had a process, it would do a lot of this for you. And then you can hire good people to work a great process. And I say that all the time. I'd rather have a good person and a great process than a great person and an okay process. Because if I have a great process, the people that we hire don't have to be top A-plus players, you know, top of, top of the, their ranks and all of that. I can hire good people to manage a great process. And yeah. what we've learned over the years working with a lot of entrepreneurs is that as they want to grow their business, they often can find customers faster than they can find people. And it becomes a bottleneck for them mm. in being able to grow their business if they can't find people fast enough. So fast is a really important piece to us. And the way you go fast is by having a good process. Yeah, And once we build the process, we teach them how to troubleshoot it, how to manage it, how to make the adjustments that they need as the market changes or as their business changes.
0: I mm. think about process. I recorded a few weeks ago a podcast with Alexis Kingsbury from Air Manual, mm. and we- discussing that we've particularly talked about finance processes about the importance of getting the process documented and we're talking there about so once the process is documented well it's easier to onboard a new member of the team you've got insurance the day that somebody rings in sick particularly finance it's a work day five at the month end what happens on work day five got to happen so there's some instructions written down that somebody else can follow. So that process side and, and air manual as a tool to do it, we, we explored hugely in that one. But the, the other side of that, you know, the process to recruit people, to recruit people fast. Tell me a bit more about that,
1: Ryan. So it's about being able to repeat things in a very predictable way so that we can make the adjustments we need you'd mentioned COVID and the pandemic and what the pandemic did was really exposed a lot of our inadequacies when it came to taking care of our people and how we treated people and how we onboarded people and how we attracted people to our business and it exposed things that have been problems for decades. And what it did was it showed job seekers that they have more control than they thought they did. They, They were no longer at the point where they said, Oh, It's the only job available to me. So I'm going to take it. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to grind through it. The digital economy and the transportation industry. Like I know this stat in the United States, there are 5 million more automobiles on the road right now than there were pre-COVID because there are that many people delivering goods to people's homes. Yeah. So there are 5 million people that were removed from the job market and put into their automobiles to work independently as freelancers delivering for Amazon or Uber or any of these other delivery services. And so it gave people options.
0: Yeah. We've seen that a lot in the UK and certainly shortages in certain areas. I know that bus companies have had a huge problem recruiting bus drivers. Mm. They're thinking, hang on a minute, I'm driving around all day. And I've got to put up with all of this hassle from the general public. Yeah. The elements of the general public, I really don't like dealing with very much at all. Mm -hmm. I I can drive around all day and possibly get more money driving around with Amazon parcels in the back of a van.
1: And have control over my schedule, what I listen to, (laughs) what I do while I'm driving, all of that. Yeah. And And so.
0: We've seen shortages in other industries as well. And, brewery industry, there was a period that there was likely to be a beer shortage in the pubs in the UK. Mm. Because of, the shortage of Delivery drivers, similar sort of thing. Do I really need to have to go throwing around these great big heavy kegs of beer?
1: Mm. You know, we do a lot of work in the construction space and home services. And we're seeing them, they've been struggling for a long time. But I think, like I said, COVID exposed why they've been struggling. And it's exactly your point. Do I want to deal with the general public? Do I want to deal with these physically demanding jobs? Or do I want to go drive around in the car, listen to what I my music all day and yeah. deliver packages that don't whine, that don't complain, that don't yell at me, you know, and just <laughs> have that freedom. And for a lot of people too now, I think COVID did this where it made people realize that I don't need to go work hard to make a lot of money. I just need to make enough money to live the life I want to live. And if on Thursday, I have enough money to get through the weekend, I'm taking Friday off <laughs> Yeah, and people now have that flexibility. So to answer your question, that process that you need to start hiring better people is really a process of attraction. It's a marketing process for how you attract good people to your business. You see, we're no longer in the day where I can take a job posting or a job description and hang it up in a coffee shop or put it out on a job board. And all these people are going to come flocking to me because they need a job because job seekers have options. And if we don't have a systematic way of making sure that we've got good ads, that we can adjust as needed and keep them out there so that we're always recruiting, always putting our information out there to say, hey, we want good people on our team. If we don't have a process for that, The second you get busy, the second business changes, the second you have a customer complaint, you're going to forget about it. You're going to get distracted and you're not going to do it. And then you're going to go, oh, I'll get back to recruiting when I have to. And recruiting should not be a have to thing. It should be something that just happens. And that's where we look at that, creating that process for people so that they're always attracting, always recruiting good people.
0: Okay, tell me a little bit more about that then. How would you make sure this is an always on process? What are the key things?
1: Well, you know, one of the big shifts that we help people make in the way they think about recruiting is realizing that recruiting in and of itself is not an HR activity. Recruiting Mm. should not belong to the HR department. Recruiting should belong to the marketing department. Right. Because what we're doing is we're putting the right message in front of the right people at the right time. That's a marketing activity. And if you think about marketing, when you think about these companies, they always have something in place to attract new customers, whether they outsource it to an agency or they hire a dedicated marketing person. Their role is to make sure that the company's brand or the company's product or service is always in front of customers. So most companies already have a process to do this. What they need to do is just realize that where you post the ads is different for recruiting. But posting ads and managing advertising budgets and making sure it's on all the time and making sure there's a funnel and automation, and all that, you're already doing it on the customer side. You just need to change the messaging and put it in front of different people. Okay.
0: Yeah. So I can see one... Thing here that's possibly a little bit difficult for say I'm the, the CFO of a reasonable sized business and, and I've just got the finance team working for me. I might have a few people in the ops team, the legal department. So I've got a reasonable workforce, but even with a reasonable workshop of maybe 40, 50 people, I won't always have vacancies. So how does this process work? If I'm looking at the sales side, well, Customer comes along great. I'm always looking for new customers. Yeah. Always looking for new employees. Yeah. How how do we square that circle?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we have a process that we teach our clients and we call it the bench. And if you think about a sports team, right, you don't always have the same guys starting all the time. You've got a bench of players because you never know when someone's going to get hurt, when someone's going to have to leave, when life happens. And so in the sports world, we create this bench of people that train with us, that learn with us, that know our plays, so that as soon as we need to call someone up from the bench, we can. And we teach a process called the bench in recruiting, where you may not always be ready at the right time when a good A player, rock star, whatever you want to call them, top performer employee is ready to switch jobs. You may be looking when they're not ready. So there's a timing element that's off. So by creating this bench, we're able to nurture the relationship with these people. So when they are ready, they say, hey, can you call me up? Or when you're ready to hire, you can reach out to your bench of people that you've been nurturing, that you've already talked to, that you already know, ready to go because life happens. So you might have 40 or 50 people, but you'd be fooling yourself to think that all those people are going to be with you for the next five years because (laughs) life happens. The other thing that happens with this bench process Is out of those 40 or 50 people if you were to really look at them and say who are the good employees who are the great employees you might have a handful of people that if the right person came along you'd be okay replacing and we have to think about that strategically now i'm not saying that we just willy-nilly and just replace people but if you've got people that you've been coaching and you've been working with and they're still not performing well but someone comes in that you know is a top performer because you've spent time with them. You know they've got the skills, the knowledge, the capacity to do it. They can really step into the role and perform. Now all of a sudden, you don't feel like your hands are tied and you're stuck dealing with a low performer. So what it does is it allows you to be more confident in growing your team and building it with just top performers.
0: Okay. I need to get the
1: idea of the bench.
0: But talk me through that in practice because there'll be bunch of folk out there who are looking around for jobs. They'll see the marketing that you're putting out by your organization. So you don't specifically have a vacancy, but kind of what happens to get that person on the bench? What happens while they're on the bench?
1: Sure. So I'm not sure about the stats in the the rest of the world, but I think in general, this probably carries through. So 70% of people are what we call passive job seekers which means they're passively looking for work. They, they don't have a brand new resume. They're not on the job boards. They're not actively applying. What they're doing is they're putting their feelers out and saying, hey, I'm not super happy here. Or I think I could be happier. Or I want to change my career trajectory a little bit. So I'm going to see what's out there. And these passive job seekers can take anywhere from nine to 18 months to make a jump. Yeah. But what happens is once they're finally at the point where they're ready to make a jump and leap into something else, You have to be there in front of them. So if you think about, let's say, for example, so we do a lot of work in home services. So think about plumbers. I don't always need a plumber. As a homeowner, I don't always need a plumber. But you know what? I get an email pretty regularly from a local plumbing company. They constantly are telling me about products and services and changes that are happening and specials that they have and everything else. They don't know when I'm going to need a plumber. It's not like I wake up one day and I'm like, I'm going to go spend money on plumbing. (laughs) But they continue to nurture me as a potential customer so that when I am ready and I raise my hand, guess who I'm going to call? I'm going to call the guy that I've been looking at in my email inbox or my text messages for the last six months because they're top of mind. That's who I'm going to go after. And so it's the same concept. If we're always attracting these passive job seekers into us, when they're ready to raise their hand, we need to be there to hear their call. So I'm not suggesting that you're posting something on the job boards and saying we're actively recruiting. I'm actually suggesting you create a marketing funnel that attracts people in and they go, huh? I'm curious about that company. I want to know more about that leadership team. I want to know more about their culture and the way they communicate and how they train and onboard and take care of their employees. And I want to learn so that in six or nine months or 12 months when I'm ready, I'm already there. So this idea of always recruiting doesn't mean that we're always actively interviewing and hiring and everything else. We're creating marketing funnels to continue to stay in front of people and nurture people so that when they're ready, we're ready.
0: Okay. So I'm a CFO, I'm thinking about my finance team, would I be constantly looking around and saying I work in finance in my organization, some great careers and so on, and looking to build folk up on a mailing list about that and the way the plumber might do to drop regular messaging? How does that work?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think as a leader in any organization, your job is building and managing your team. I mean, that's what you do. And so when you think about that as a responsibility for someone in that leadership role, they should always be keeping their eye out for great talent. The reality is, and I've never met, I've never met a leader that came to me and said, there isn't a single person on my team I would not replace. Like there you are, the best team ever. I've never met a leader say that. There's always like, oh yeah, there's a couple I could use to replace. So we should always be looking. But what happens is we get so focused on doing our CFO job that we forget that a big element of our job is building and managing and leading this team. Yeah. And so what happens is that becomes something we react to. I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and they always ask me, they're like, well, how much of my day should I be spending thinking about recruiting? How much of my time should I be thinking about building my team? And based on the studies that we've seen and the results we've seen with our clients, it's about 30% of your time should be focused on your people. But what happens is, just like the entrepreneur who gets focused on customer acquisition or dealing with customer support or the CFO who gets focused on financials or gets focused on investments or being able to get AP and AR taken care of and getting their systems figured out, instead of that, you should be spending a certain amount of your time on your people and building that effective team because yeah. that effective team just like we started talking about with good processes you bring great people in imagine a great person and a great process what you could do oh yeah Both. and thinking about that is is that's what's going to help you take your team to the next level
0: yeah so one of the things that i'd want to do as a if i'm running a team yeah i'd want to spend up 30% but wouldn't my focus be largely on the team of people that i've got and trying to retain them trying to improve them.
1: If all your people are trainable and they have the potential to be improved, absolutely. What we found is, and keep in mind too, a lot of the stuff we do is around those high volume positions. So if you've got a lot of bookkeepers, you might not be turning bookkeepers very fast. If you've got a lot of AP people or you may not be turning very fast. Although we find that AR people turn pretty quick because they burn out. They don't like getting yelled at. That kind of thing. That could be a high volume position. I mean, if you've got all the right people in there, then absolutely you should be focused on retention, which is why that's more than half of the work we do is around retention. Because if you've got the right people that you can train, that you can hold on to, that you can develop into future leaders, rockstar employees is what we call them. Then yeah, you focus on retention, but you never know when one of those people is going to get the call from their spouse and said, Hey, I can't do it anymore. I want to move back home to be closer to mom and dad, or Hey. The doctor calls and says, hey, you got a health diagnosis. You know, The stress is gonna kill you faster. You need to go find another job. You never know when life is gonna happen. So yes, focusing on retention, but I don't like it when people look at recruiting as something that they have to do when they have to do it. I would rather them think, you know what? Recruiting is part of who we are. It's part of what we do. So when life happens to your people, life happens, people are gonna quit, people are gonna relocate, people are gonna get health issues. Things are going to happen. You're ready to deal with it and you're not scrambling to figure out how you find someone new.
0: Okay, so if I'm the CFO, yeah, I, I'm looking at putting what you're talking about into practice. What are the, the kind of three things that perhaps I might do in the next 90 days to start getting a recruitment process in place? What are the key three things?
1: Yeah, so the first thing, Remember I told you I teach people to fish? Yeah. So we use a lot of fishing analogies when it comes to recruiting. And so when, I don't know, have you ever fished, Kevin?
0: Yeah, a long time ago.
1: Okay. All it's
0: right. Very good at Getting the fly attached to the tree behind me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. So I ask people all the time. I say, what's the first decision? So let's say you and I wanted to go fishing. What's the first decision that you and I need to collectively make that by making that decision Almost all of our other decisions are made for us or they become easier to make. We're going to go fishing. What's the first thing we need to decide on?
0: Where are we going? What sort of fish are we after?
1: Oh, the second one, you nailed it. What fish are we after? Because that's going to dictate where we're going, isn't it? Yeah. That's going to dictate what bait we need. That's going to dictate what gear we need. Time of day, time of year, seasonality. It's going to dictate everything once we know what kind of fish we want. Yeah. So the first thing you need to do as a CFO is to sit down and figure out what kind of employee do I want? Not what do I need, not what do they need to do, what kind of employee do I want? So just like most people don't-
0: Responsibility, this is a list of more values, ways of working.
1: Yeah, you just jumped ahead. That's what I was going to say. Let's not focus on the work you want them to do. Let's focus on who the person is, how they behave, how they think. That's what we want. What is your ideal employee? We call it the core fit profile, putting together a core fit profile. Who is going to fit the core of your company, your culture, your values, the way you make decisions, the way you communicate? Who is that? Because Mm -hmm. most of the stuff that we do, even in finance, most of the stuff that we do, I can teach you to do. Yeah. What I can't teach you to do is set the alarm clock and get to the office on time. What I struggle to teach you to do is how to double check your own work and make sure that there's no mistakes. What I can't teach you to do is be comfortable picking up the phone and calling that customer who's 60 days past due and having a tough conversation. I can't teach you to do those things. Sure, I can give you scripts and I can help you. But if that phone feels like it weighs 500 pounds every time you pick it up, I can't teach that out of you. So that's the first thing you do is get really clear on who it is that you want, who's really going to be a good fit for your team. And the second thing I would have you do is take a look at your own company online. More than 90% of job seekers start and end their search online. So if I want a new job, I'm going to go to a search engine and I'm going to type in new finance job or bookkeeping job or accounting job. And when your company comes up, do you think people like what they see? If you've got bad reviews on Glassdoor, if you've got poor reviews on Yelp, if you've got bad reviews on Indeed or any of these job boards, you might want to get those cleaned up. Or even worse, if your website looks like it was built in 2015, which by the way is 100 years old in internet world, if it looks old and it looks like your company isn't growing and it looks like your company's not taking on new projects and it doesn't look like there's opportunity for people, you need to get that fixed because that's what people want. People don't leave jobs, they leave people. And if they go to your website and they can't learn about your people and they can't see your vision and where you're going and, and where you're going to take them in their career, they're not going to show up. You're not going to attract the best people. So that's the second thing is take a look at yourself and say, am I attractive to the right people? Yeah. Because if you can't find good people, you're probably not attractive to good people.
0: Yeah. So was
1: well, about having the right fly on the end of that, the line. the Yep. Absolutely. Yep. So the right yep. bait, the, right, the right lure, that's what we're talking about there. And then the next one is having the right gear. So you put that information out there and 86% of job seekers will say the number one issue they have with applying is a lack of communication from the employer. mm mm-hmm. Yep. It's the lack of communication. Well, there's a system out there called an applicant tracking system, which I imagine some of your listeners are familiar with. It's like a CRM, but it's specifically designed for recruiting. And this applicant tracking system is one of the primary tools that we not only implement, but teach people how to use that when an application comes in, the system can actually make decisions about what to do with that system. There's a little bit of automation in it. And it can decide how and when to communicate with the applicant, whether it's via text message or an email, or even some of them will even do phone calls and leave voicemails. Hmm. And it automates the communication, the things that are important, which is communicating with an applicant quickly, communicating with an applicant where they want to be communicated with, right? If someone says, text me, and you're constantly picking up the phone and calling them, and you're frustrated, like nobody answers their phones anymore but they told you to text them. <laughs> you should be texting them. So the applicant tracking system is a tool that you can implement so that you can get these results, stay on top of your pipeline and nurture people. So those would be the top three things I would do. You yeah. know what fish you're going after, know what bait you're using and then making sure you have the right gear.
0: So thinking about that actually catching a fish, you've attracted the right person because you're telling about the right things on the website. but. You want them to bite. What actually happens there? Are you trying to make it really easy to say, I'm interested in a job with you? Because at the time they find you attractive, you might not have the vacancy that's going to be right for them. So what are you doing there? Are you having a simple form on a website? Or what's the system to actually get somebody for, from yeah, the material? So, really? so let's it, say
1: we're not hiring right now, but we want these people are attracted. And they're like, hey, I want to know more. I want to be a part of your team. What a lot of companies do is they have that general inquiry application where it's like, hey, send us your resume. And if we have something that fits, we'll let you know. And what I would encourage you to do is think about that plumber that's emailing me and texting me all their updates. Is create an email list so that people can learn about your company so that people can learn about your leadership team and what you do for fun and your culture and your values and all of those things. And you make it easy for them to get this information. Now, maybe it is enter your phone number and we'll text you over the next couple of months and just share with you. And as soon as a vacancy comes up, you get to text those people instead of posting something new. But it's getting them into a funnel is really what you need to do. And it either happens through text message or email. That's usually how we recommend it. And a lot of companies already have these systems set up for customers. Mm-hmm. So all we're doing is saying, go set it up for recruiting, change the messaging a little bit. In our program, we have a 120-day email campaign that we've outlined. People can download it and just put their name in it and upload it to their system. And it's done. And over the next 120 days, so four months, it's going to email drip on people employee testimonials information about the culture, letter from the president of the company, all of these things so that they can learn the things that passive job seekers want to know before they start working for another company.
0: Hmm. So your company is then at the front of that person's mind when they get serious about a new job. You've also got a list of people that as you've got a vacancy, you can say directly to that list, hey, here's something. And hopefully you get the application, the firm application coming in from the right person. Yeah.
1: Okay. What was that? I like that. Yeah. What happens is people want to know, people don't leave jobs, they leave bosses. Mm. And they want to know, is this company that I'm about to work for, is it a better boss? Am I going to enjoy the culture more? And Mm. this gives them an opportunity to learn about you and let you nurture them and show them that you're different, not just tell them that you're different.
0: That's very true. And I'm thinking back to just about every job that I've gone for or left. It's been about the culture and the people. It's not been about the what you do, it's yeah. the who you do it with. Absolutely. I, in my case, I ended up in a consulting organization that was part of the big four. Went through a merger with, well, it was more than the big four then, because we created the big four through one of our mm-hmm. mergers. So ended up in their team. They were taken over by the consulting bit of the business was taken over by a major systems integrator. Mm. The culture we had right at the beginning was very different to the culture at the end. Mm. And that was a lot of people ended up leaving because of that. So understanding those sorts of things about job friction, I think, is really, really important. I think, yeah. It's about culture. It's about values. It's about the way things are done around here, not about the tasks that you do.
1: Yep. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's a very, very different way of thinking about the whole process. Love some of the things you've been talking about there, Ryan. So you've got that element going on in recruit. What specifically are you saying in retain?
1: So the best way to retain good people is to onboard them well. Yeah. And the thing is, most people don't realize when onboarding starts or what onboarding is. So I'll tell you, onboarding starts the second that a job seeker learns about your company. You're yeah. onboarding them. Yeah. I think about my wife and I have been married 18 years, been together more than 25 years, and we both still remember our first date.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: 25 years later, we remember our first date and I wasn't thinking about marrying her on our first date. She wasn't thinking about it on our first date. We were in high school, but that first date has dictated many of the things that have happened throughout our time together and our marriage. The things that happened on that first date impacted the entire rest of the relationship. Mm -hmm. So when you hire somebody, onboarding started back at your first date, which is the first time they learned about you. And so understanding that onboarding is not just a a one-time event, but it is an experience is really critical in making sure that you're going to retain people. So that's the first thing is the onboarding process and making sure that you understand it's an experience, not an event. It's not a filling out your paperwork and getting ready to pay your taxes and figuring out how to get your paycheck. That's an element of onboarding, but onboarding is about the uh, culture stuff that we talked about.
0: Onboarding covers all of that recruitment stuff we've just talked about, and Absolutely. then goes on beyond day one of turning up as an employee. Yep. Through all of that formal induction process. Yeah. When does it stop? When do we stop onboarding
1: somebody? Never.
0: Who did say that?
1: <laughs> yeah, never. I mean, you think about any kind of relationship you've ever had, a personal relationship, it goes through phases. And when the relationship gets stale or stagnant for a while, there's an event that needs to happen to almost rekindle it and yes. reignite the friendship or the passion or whatever you had. And we need to make sure that we are constantly doing that with our employees. And so we encourage everybody to be on a 90-day cycle for this. The first 90 days is absolutely a unique experience because it's the honeymoon stage. It's the first part we're learning about each other. We're learning all these things we like and we don't like and everything else. But after that, we need to have a 90 day cadence where we're constantly reigniting and reminding each other why we decided to do this. And it is, it's an employee employer relationship. Like we have to understand that a lot of people that come to work for us, they're giving up time with their friends, their family and the things they do for fun to come work for us. Yeah. If we don't give them a substitute to replace those things, they're going to go find another company to work for, another boss to lead them. And so we look at how do you create opportunities to allow people to have friends at work? In fact, have you ever heard of Gallup? Yep. Big research firm. They have the Q12, which is the 12 questions that you ask your team around engagement. And they have learned, that you have a six times greater, there's a greater likelihood that someone will be engaged if they answer yes to one of the 12 questions. And that is, do I have a best friend at work? And if they say yes, there's a six times greater likelihood that they're engaged than if they say yes to any other rest of them. And as employers, as leaders, we need to give opportunities to our team to make a best friend at work. Because when they have a best friend at work, now they gave up their time with their family, their friends, and their fun. Well, now we've replaced one of them. Yeah, And then you hear a lot of companies talk about, we're like a family. We've replaced another one. Then you talk a lot of companies like, oh, on Fridays, we do things for fun. So you replace one of them. So what you're doing is you're a substitute for the things they gave up. Now they're getting paid. They're going to stick around a lot longer. But when you ignore those three things, now you're really going to struggle to keep them. Because the second that they find out that something happened with their family or their friends did something fun and they weren't able to partake, they're going to go look for a company that gives them that freedom, gives them the flexibility or helps substitute it inside of the organization.
0: Now, we've talked about COVID once or twice in this conversation. And One of the, the key things that has happened in a lot of workplaces is remote working. Mm-hmm. How do you think that's affected the ability to have a best friend at work?
1: So I think that when it comes to the remote work environment, there are a lot of people out there that say it doesn't work. We've heard that there's a lot of debate. We can't keep our arms around our culture. Our people aren't as productive when you are no longer taking people away from their family, which is what remote work allows them to do is stay with their family. You're no longer taking them away from their friends or those impromptu lunch dates because remote work allows them to do that. And you give them that freedom and flexibility. You don't have to be as intentional about that. Now, the concern becomes, well, if they're constantly hanging out with their friends and they're going to lunches and early happy hours and they're hanging out with their family or watching their kids at home, that affects productivity. And so we don't want that. And so there becomes this balance that you have to play. If you don't want to be intentional about creating that work environment that subsidizes what they're giving up on and you choose to go the remote route, you have to be flexible in giving them those things because most people get up every morning and go to work to support a lifestyle. Yes. They don't get up and go to work because that's what they were built to do. So if you take away that lifestyle especially with the remote work, we're seeing a lot of people that are doing remote work, but they're becoming very strict about it. Constantly monitoring, constantly making meetings, constantly making sure that they're at their desk. All of a sudden you take away those freedoms and people are going to look for another place to go replace those things that they're missing out on. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. I have a personal view that says, providing the work gets done, I really couldn't care whether you do it in the middle of the day or the middle of the night absolutely
1: there's a great book on that called why work sucks and how to fix it yeah and that results only work environment i mean that's what we run at core matters in fact i have people on my team i've never met face to face they're just remote and we see each other all the time on zoom yeah (laughs) all the time and we have great relationship but we've never met face to face because that's the work culture that we want to create
0: yeah so it just shows the things we've been talking about for the last best part of the last hour, work in any sort of environment, whether it's face-to-face, remote. And it's, I suppose in summary, it's treat recruitment as a marketing activity. You're marketing your company the whole time. You're trying to bring people into your kind of sphere of influence. Mm-hmm. And really, from the moment they get into that sphere of influence, if they're there, the good people that you want, you're onboarding them from that moment. And that absolutely. onboarding relationship stays alive all the way through the time they're working for you. And we talk about those 90-day periods of reviewing what's going on and refreshing what's going on, making sure the right culture's there. Right? That's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you for being this week's guest on the Grow CFO Show.
1: Thanks for having me.